0: Welcome back to another episode of the Test Studio Times podcast with your host Sam Austria alongside Ben Dixon. We have a lot to get to today, like we talked about last week. The football season is in the rearview, but there is a ball game announced and an opponent and a date. So we'll get to all that later on the show. Um, last week, we had a very special guest, Boomer Sison. If you didn't catch that episode, go listen to that. Great interview with Boomer. He was, he was phenomenal to talk to. But we're going to start here with Maryland basketball, who, as we talked to you today on Wednesday, December 7th, is 8-1. and one. Um, they have two Big Ten games in the rearview. Last time we talked to you guys, they had not played a Big Ten game, but now they have two um, in the rearview before they get back to um, to non-conference play, which we'll talk about as well and we'll preview. But first, let's recap the last week for Maryland basketball. We'll start with the Illinois game last Friday night. Um, a phenomenal game. Maryland won seventy-one to sixty-six in the Xfinity Center. It was a packed Xfinity Center and an incredible atmosphere. It really hadn't been that atmosphere. Since pre-COVID, since they were a top-five ranked team in the country, um, in in Mark when Mark Turgeon was the coach back in 2019, 2020. So it had been a long time since it felt like Maryland had that type of excitement for a game and really lived up to it with the billing, with the type of atmosphere that the Xfinity created. Uh, Ben, first first, let's just talk about the atmosphere before we actually talk about the basketball that was played on the court at that Illinois game last Friday.
1: Yeah, it was electric at the Illinois game last Friday, without a doubt. Um, I think 16,380 there, not a sellout, but that's a lot more than, you know, 99.5% of college basketball arenas can hold. The biggest student crowd they've ever had at Xfinity, credit to the athletic department. You know, they sold out uh, student tickets, I think a few days or a week before the game. And then last minute, they added some more, knowing that, you know, the alumni fan base and the nearby fan base wasn't going to fill that place. So credit to them. The place was absolutely rocking. I thought, the students created an atmosphere that, you know, peak Xfinity Center should look like. And it kind of stamped the, you know, emergence of Maryland basketball back onto the national scene, back into national relevancy. And just to have that atmosphere at Xfinity Center, it's kind of like Brad Underwood said. I mean, I don't know if it was necessarily his place to talk about, you know, Maryland's crowd problems and and how that place should look like that every night, but he's a hundred percent right. Um, given you know what we've seen from this team so far through nine games and then eight games at the time Friday. The Xfinity Center, as we know, can be one of the best atmospheres in college basketball for any big game. I'm sure we'll see it the same next week with UCLA. Um, just seeing that crowd was was really awesome, Sam, and it, it really should be like that for the next for the rest it, of the season because it's, that, a, it's incredible.
0: It's a legitimate um advantage when you have that crowd on your side. I mean, it's a really tough place to play if you're in oppo- if you're an opposing player. It's the getting distracted with the, the the chirping that's going on. I mean, it's like you talk about like J.J. Reddick all those years ago. It's some I mean, incredible stories uh, from the the trash that Maryland fans talked and how they tried to get in his head back in those days with the in the peak of the Maryland-Duke rivalry. Um, but, you know, it's really just, obviously, there wasn't an Xfinity Center back then, but, but still, it's just the Maryland fan base um, and the energy they bring. And it really is a huge advantage for them when they're playing at home. And it's like that a lot of places in the, in the Big Ten, as we've seen as this year's, played out. Um but let's talk about what actually happened on the court. Because this, this was a very good Illinois team. An Illinois team that's going to compete for the Big 10 title and maybe one of the probably top 15 team. I'm not looking at the AP rankings. I'm not looking at these polls. In my opinion, probably top 15 team in the entire country. And Maryland went total Maryland was was up big. Uh not not too big. They they had they felt like they had control for most of the game. They got off to a great start in large part due to the crowd. And then Illinois kind of came back. It was a great, great, great game down the stretch. uh, Maryland was up one uh, with under a minute to go. I I forget exactly how many seconds, but they were up one. I think like 30, probably under 30 seconds. And Jameer Young uh, makes his mark in the hometown kid as a a Maryland basketball player and drills a three to give him a four-point lead and really just seal the game for Maryland. A phenomenal game all around. That place went absolute nuts when Jameer Young hit that three. Uh, we'll, we'll just t- talk us through that those last few minutes and what you saw from Maryland against a really good Illinois team.
1: Yeah those last few minutes were quite the roller coaster ride like you said Maryland pretty much gained control in the first half and really never relinquished it until those final minutes when Illinois you know brought into one I think they tied the game up as well uh, but never took the lead you know Maryland bent but didn't break that Friday night against Illinois. I think it starts with Jameer Young uh, I kind of focused my story about him on Friday night and you know, he he was getting a lot of praise, as he should. The hometown kid from Upper Marlboro, played three years at Charlotte, high volume guy, 20-point-per-game score stats, you know, just eye-popping, jump right off the page. There were questions of whether his, you know, physicality, whether his skill would translate to the Big Ten, given how tough the league it is and given just the rise in talent in general. And I think he kind of silenced any questions Friday night. And then we'll, we obviously we'll get to uh, last night's game against Wisconsin as well. But talking Friday night – Jameer Young, it's it's kind of been amazing to see what he's been able to do. He's leading the team in scoring right now, really silenced any doubters of whether or not he'd be able to play at this level. Um, he's been doing it scoring, been doing it finding teammates. He's rebounding the ball. You can argue he's been, you know, him and Dante have been Maryland's probably two best all around and most consistent players this year. Hakeem Hart right in the mix as well. But just for him to have that moment in front of the big crowd, his first game, First big game as a Maryland Terrapin uh, for his home state. I, I thought that was really pretty cool and probably the highlight of the night for me.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, for first off, you you said it right there. But the fact that he came home and did that—you know—he didn't have anything close to a crowd on his side in all his years at Charlotte there, and then he comes back to his hometown at, at Maryland as a transfer point guard and and just puts on a show. And and I think I expected a little bit. I think. Kevin Willard even expected his coach to be a little nervous. You know, that was going to be his first huge game with a huge crowd that he really has not experienced a whole lot in his college career. And, and you know, he, I'm sure he had a ton of tickets and a ton of family in attendance at that one on Friday night. And he just balled out from the start. I mean, he was phenomenal. Like, it's not just... It's not just the physicality that, that I'm impressed with, the immediate change in, or the immediate immediate how dominant he is in terms of um, getting to the hoop and all that. But it's 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 how his ability to shoot off the dribble, coming off screens, snake dribble, um, pull up jumpers, catch and shoot threes. You saw it last night, even uh, when Maryland was down on Wisconsin. And he just came in and drilled a three to kind of give Maryland some hope. Off the dribble, threes have been phenomenal. He can get down to uh, to the rim, finish with both hands. But he really is a true true point guard this year. You know, he is really good at rebounding, pushing it in transition, and he. I think it helps him that Maryland plays with a ton of pace. But he can dish out in transition, uh, find the open man. He's a good uh, post passer, which you don't see too often, but delivering to um from point cards, especially, but delivering to Julian Reese, he's good at, I mean, he's, it's, it's hard to find a lot of holes in his game so far. And he's, he's been incredibly impressive. I don't think anybody expected him to be at this point because he, he hadn't played this level of competition, but now it feels like he should have been pl- playing at this level all these years.
1: Absolutely. You nailed it. I mean, right. It's not just his scoring, which he's kind of been able to do at all three levels this year, driving in the hoop taking that little floater from a few feet away and then drilling threes as well. I think he's shooting what? 32.4% from three, which, you know, isn't, isn't phenomenal, but it's not hurting the team by uh, any uh, chance there either. You know, he's leading this team in assists, I think 27 assists in nine games. He's kind of proven he can do it all. Like you said. And I think as a true point guard, which he really has been this year in addition to being a scorer, that'll only get better as he continues to develop, to develop chemistry, with the rest of this uh, starting lineup and especially with, with Juju Reese, I think we'll see that pick and roll kind of get a little bit better as the season goes on, nowhere near um, a complete, you know, project there, given that, you know, Juju Reese is kind of being thrown into big 10 player right now um, dealing with uh, the physicality, both I think mentally and, and physically from both those standpoints. And we'll talk about the Wisconsin game, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it's been great to see what we've seen from Jameer so far. And I think it'll probably only get better. Um you know, after nine games,
0: yeah, I mean, there's no question about it that he just he carried that team and willed the team to victory. There was no way uh, Jameer Young was going to lose. Um, on fr- last Friday night to Illinois at home, uh, with the performance he had, uh, because Maryland really didn't shoot the ball well at all from three. I mean, they were only 25 percent from three. Uh, but they did a good job of of getting in the lane, and that's kind of the, been their mojo on offense. It's it's getting downhill, getting in the paint. Um, we're kind of working the mid post and kicking out. They play a ton of inside out. And that, that's, that's not just getting the ball with Julian Reese or Dante Scott in the post and, and kicking out in that way. You know, playing inside out is, is getting dribble drive penetration. And Jameer Young has been able to break shoulders with almost everyone who's guarded him this year. And so he's doing a great job of penetrating the lane, which collapses the defense. And that's when you get a lot of those, a lot of those open looks. So he's been incredibly impressive. I mean, I don't think anybody expected, I think that's one of the reasons why this Maryland team wasn't really highly regarded coming into the season and no one expected they would have the start or season that they're having at this point, it's because we didn't really know what what that Jameer Young would be this. I think it was, yeah, we saw him be a, a scoring first guard and put up a ton of points a, and fill the, the box sheet every night at Charlotte, but no one thought that would translate or else he would have been playing at this level for all these years. But clearly it has translated and he can do more than just score. He impacts the game in so many ways. But uh is, is there anything else you want to talk about the Illinois game before we go to Wisconsin or not really?
1: Yeah, I think I think I, I got a little bit of a segue for you here. I think we gotta talk can't talk about that game without talking about Hakeem Hart as well. I mean that that yeah. man was just playing on another level. Five for six from three, six for nine from the uh the field in general. I think five boards. Um, I mean, he was just playing out of his mind in that game. Him and Jameer both set the tone. Um, but five for six from three. I mean, he was he was back on his his St. Peter's uh type game there and and he's really evolved into you know another truly great offensive weapon took a little bit of a step back in this Wisconsin game don't think it's too much to worry about but he was a a really big reason uh Maryland won that game against Illinois and it was kind of you know like we say about Jameer having that game in his first big home game versus home state for Akeem you know to be a senior here four years later it's kind of you know his development into you know star for this Maryland team has been something to uh you know kind of applaud there as well. So I, I think we got to give Hakeem some credit for yeah. getting that game there.
0: Uh, th- thank you for bringing that up because he does not get enough love. And he has been, um, Kevin have said it, but he has been the most consistent player for Maryland. And it's it's interesting that he is the most consistent player for Maryland because for all these years in these last couple of years, he was Mr. Inconsistent. I mean, you could count on him to have a 17-point game, uh, three for five shooting night from three, and then he would follow that up with a one for six shooting night from three with two points. Yep. Now he has been incredibly consistent. You can count on him getting at least 13, 14 points every single game, obviously against Illinois he finished with 17 and it was five for six from three, but it's also interesting just how much of a, a jump his shot has taken. And it, it's, you know, from his sophomore year to his junior year, you know, he brought his shooting motion up a little bit. So it was more fluid, you know, his pocket was a little higher. So it was more fluid. wasn't as much of a dip and we're getting, I'm getting into two technical analysis of his shooting, but there wasn't as much of a dip. I don't notice a whole lot and change in his shooting motion from last season of this season. But it's it's the numbers are saying that he's a way yeah. better shooter this year. And you know we talked about this, but he's kind of a shooter that you know he can make them off the dribble one dribble three. He's not really an off the dribble shooter, but he needs a perfect catch kind of um, to 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 rise up and and kind of. With his shooting motion, that's a, that's a little funky. He needs a perfect catch to kind of uh, rise up and, and shoot the ball and, and make it at a consistent clip. But he's been getting that. You know, his teammates are finding him. Jameer Young's finding him. Dante Scott, who he's played with since he was in eighth grade, uh, is finding him. Uh, the Don Carey, Julian Reese out of the post is finding him. And he's getting open looks and he's, getting cons- and he's consistently knocking them down. So that's a huge development yeah. that he's become a legitimate three-point threat every single day. Game where it's like these, and he's getting some open ones too. Like eventually, these teams are going to be like, we have to lock this guy up because he can't give him any open looks because he will nail any open look he gets.
1: Look, he's—it's not like he's a low volume guy either. He's taking nearly three and a half threes per game, and he's shooting what forty-eight point four percent from deep. It's—it's truly amazing. Right now, that's a—that's
0: a. a, I didn't even look at that number. That is a staggering number, and it's that's impossible. It's literally impossible to to keep up from three. So I'm, there will be a regression, but right now through nine games, that's a staggering number.
1: Yeah, and look, Sam, it's it's not even just his three point shooting. I get he had the tough game against Wisconsin last night, which we'll get into. I mean, the guy's the nineteenth best offensive rating in the country on Ken Palm out of yep. every single player in the country. Yeah. So I mean, he's it, it, he's I, I don't want to say has been a revelation because it seems like he's kind of steadily improved each year, and and we saw the flashes of the offensive player he can be last year. But this year to do it at pretty much in every game rate with, you know, maybe the exception of last night, which we'll get into. I mean, he helped Maryland win that game against Illinois. I mean, it was him and Jameer and, and you can't really question that. Um, so it's been impressive to watch um for a team yeah. out there. And and, and and
0: you bring up the offensive efficiency. That's what's <laughs> that's that's been the most impressive part. He is so efficient with his looks. When he gets the ball, it's either a three and he's knocking down off the catch, or he's attacking the basket and really getting downhill because of his length and his size. It, he's really hard to guard. And when he is aggressive, attacking the basket downhill, he he uses a spin move, he uses a, a jump stop into a pump fake, gets the defender, foul points you know he's his true shooting percentage is phenomenal because and that's calculated with with free throws too he's um because he's doing a phenomenal job of either catching on the on the on the shot and knocking it down or getting really deep to the rim and finishing with his length. And he's not taking, he doesn't take like mid-range jumpers. He doesn't post up in the mid post and kind of take fadeaways or hook shots. You know, his shots are really three ball or close layup or get to the free throw line. And that's why he's so efficient. And, you know, that efficiency is really important.
1: Without a doubt. Um, It's been a big help, you know, kind of just given that that Dante and Jameer are the, the two guys you've kind of expected to the most from offensively through nine games. But Hakeem's proven he's right there as well.
0: Yeah. So so Maryland wins that game. They beat Illinois, um, and you know they moved to eight and zero on the year. And you kind of the narrative is like, okay, this team might be, this team is certainly a Big Ten contender. This team might even be a national title contender. Which I wrote last night that you like, Ben. But I wrote that if you you would be crucified if you said those words. Yeah, I did um, like that line. Yeah, like if you said those words, a national title contender, even a Big Ten title contender, a few um a few, a few weeks ago, even, but certainly before the season started, about Maryland, you would have been it, that would have been a, a a banana statement to make. But now it's 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 really not. But then they they get their uh, thirteen ranking, the highest ranking they've been all year in the AP poll, number thirteen, and they play at Wisconsin last night, and they come out um slow, stale, um. And really, just poor offense all around. They looked slow. They looked unenergized. It wasn't good in the beginning. They do battle back late in that first half and, and make it a game. In this, in, in it becomes a close game in the second half. But there's a lot to get to from this Wisconsin game. Uh, what were your main takeaways in Maryland's first loss of the season, 64 to 59? Wisconsin won last night, Tuesday night.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I just want to start here. I think, I think most of the fan base has kind of been. You know, reasonable with the reactions to this game, but there's there's a portion that has just been like going nuts for no. Like you're gonna, this team wasn't gonna go undefeated in nationally or the Big Ten, and some people are acting like the world is ending after they lost at Wisconsin, which is a really hard place to play, and it's just a really hard style to play. Like I, I saw a tweet from former Terp John Graham was there in the the first uh, years in the Big Ten. He was a backup big. It was like. Trust me, like, Wisconsin's an annoying team to play against. They, they hit you with the backdoor cuts, the screens when you when you least expect it. Like, this is a, a really hard style to go against as a defender, and it's, it doesn't matter. Like, people people are kind of, you know, saying, hey, that like, Maryland's more talented than Wisconsin. Like, they shouldn't have lost this game. One, it was on the road. It's tough to win on the road in the Big Ten, especially at the Cole Center. Tough place to play. I know the place didn't look absolutely bananas like the Xfinity Center did last Friday, but still a really tough place to play. Look, Wisconsin's style is is hard to beat. Like they should have beaten the reigning national champion in the Bahamas if it wasn't for a, a phantom Bobby Pettiford, like circus shot buzzer beater. Like this team is seven, two. That's a good team that they lost to. Like I understand from a talent standpoint, it it may not look like that. But look, Tyler Wall is one of the best post players in the Big Ten. Steven Crawls, a seven-footer. It's going to be hard to deal with if you're any team. And Shocky e. Hepburn is, has turned into one of the best guards in the Big Ten as well. So I don't think you know, there's too much negative to take away just from a big picture standpoint. We, we can get into the yeah. game here. I think yeah, I'll just
0: of, yeah, before, go ahead, before, before we go specifically into the game, I'll just say big picture. I completely agree with you. Um, You know, I think the fans got a little greedy at eight. No, we're like, all right, we're not going to lose to anybody. <laughs> we're the best team in the Big Ten because we beat, beat Illinois at home. Uh, But it's very different. I don't know if there's a conference in the country where there's more of the difference between playing at home and playing on the road. And, and you're going to see that every single day in a game in and game out in this conference throughout the year. And we'll talk about the big 10 a little, a little later on more broadly, but I, yeah, I completely agree with you. There's no reason to panic because of a close loss to Wisconsin. When you're eight, zero coming high off a huge win at home over Illinois, you go on the road, you get off to a really poor start and we'll get into the, the nitty gritty of this game. But there's no no reason to panic. There's no reason to say, "Oh, this is a bad loss." Anything like that, you're going to lose games in the Big Ten. Uh, they're going to lose right. a, a lot of games on the road in the Big Ten against good teams because that's just what happens. There's no reason to panic. There's you know you can't get too greedy. It ain't no Kevin Willer was not going to never lose a game as the head coach of Maryland. It's his very first yeah, loss. Newsflash, everyone. What's that?
1: I'm just saying newsflash, like he was yeah.
0: like like everyone every- take a breath, um and. The, the biggest reason for me is take a breath is segueing into the actual specifics of this game. Maryland shot 35 percent from two. They shot very well from three, 42, 42 percent um, from three from the game. Thirty five percent from two is atrocious. It's almost impossible, especially for Maryland team. That doesn't take a lot of long twos, doesn't take a lot of uh, like poor mid range shots. A lot of those were bunnies, layups. um, Post hook shots, you know, those were shots that they've been making consistently all year. It's really hard to shoot 35% from two and win a basketball game, especially a Big Ten basketball game on the road.
1: 100%. I think to start with, you know, the positives, I think they were down 27 15 at the six minute mark of the first half, and it was a 31 29 game at halftime. So Look, that was. I think Maryland trailed for, what, eight minutes all season? Going the the, the, the largest
0: deficit was three points all year. So it was good to see that, that when they face adversity, they weren't going to roll over, they fought back.
1: Right, like this was going to happen at some point. Like 12 points was the biggest deficit of the year, and it was the first time they really trailed like that all season after trailing you know, against Illinois for a few minutes. They dominated Miami and St. Louis. I, I can't remember their trip, but the stats were staggering. Con- like considering how much they controlled the entire season up to that point. Am I wrong? Like, like we had, we oh, had, yeah, to see they did. This team- I mean, there was,
0: n- there was no question about yeah. it.
1: We had to see this team battle adversity at some point. And I think a loss like this will kind of help the team in the long run more than it hurts it. Um, You know, what was this team made of? Robbie, Robbie Hummel was saying like, look, this team is down double digits for the first time. Let's see what this team is made of. They fought back. They eventually took the lead in this game. Um, They made it a game um, and they kind of just ran out of gas. I think for me, the two point shooting stands out. I mean, they missed a bunch of layups. Uh, Keem Hart point blank at the end of the game to bring it to three. Um, The refs missed a a really bad goaltend on the Jameer Young uh, layup, which kind of changed the pace of the game. I think that was a four point swing in a a crucial moment. Um, But yeah, the two point. Shooting stands out to me. I think the free throw line undoubtedly stands out for me. Maryland was only 7-12 to 12 from the free throw line. Wisconsin had 27 free throws. I think the second half was a much different game than the first. The first half was seemingly whistleless. Like Kevin Willard had to call a timeout when his team went down closer to the under-12 to the under-16 because there were just no whistles. In the second half, both teams were in the double bonus with, like, I think Wisconsin with 10 minutes to play and Maryland with six minutes to play. So there were, the second half was a different game than the first. It was really sloppy. I think those are probably the two things that stand out to me. And just the two point shooting look, you're 11 for 31 from two and 10 for 24 from three. You're not going to win any games like that if you make only one more two than threes. It's not, you're just not. I think it's that simple. To shoot thirty five percent from two, I think it's uncharacteristic from this team, and and you mentioned it, and I think we will continue to harp on it. That's that's what lost in the game at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, that's a sign of a good team to me, honestly, and maybe we're being way too optimistic in a loss when everyone wants to be doomsday, um, attitude. But look, you know, a sign of a good team is playing another good team on the road in the Big Ten. And having a horrible shooting performance, just an abysmal offensive performance all around and still having a chance to win the game late in that game. And they did. And that's exactly what happened. You know, if Maryland won that game it would have been a miracle, honestly, the, the way they shot from from two and just shot shot the ball really the entire game. Um, Like when your best players don't shoot the ball well, you're probably not going to win games. That's how basketball works. That's how basketball works in the Big Ten. So when you <laughs> when you go on the road and you have to play another good team. You are not going to win that way, and I don't think that's going to be a trend that continues. I mean, this is one game, but it was it was a good sign yeah. that when their best players shot as poorly as they did and and didn't play up to their their caliber, they were still in that game and had a and led in the late in the second half and had a chance to win that game. Like you said, that goal that missed goaltending, which was clear goaltending, completely changed um kind of the direction and pace of that game. So if they make that call correctly, who knows what kind of game this is? But look, right. Dante Scott was. Um, But go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, like, yes, that they shot the ball off from three,
0: but they also dug themselves
1: in a the hole. Like, they started one for eight from three. Like
0: yeah. yeah, and and they got then they got hot from three, which is encouraging, but you have to make two-pointers, too. Yeah. Yes, three is more than two. If you shoot 42% from three in a game, you're going to be very happy any any other game, but not when you shoot 35% from two. But look, Dante Scott was three for 14 um, from the field. That's his worst offensive game by four. I know he's still nine points, but in terms of his shooting percentage, That's his worst offensive game of the season um, by far. And, and and, you know, what was encouraging to see with Dante is that he still made an impact other ways. He had 10 rebounds. Um, It's rare where he has more rebounds than points. Very rare. But he did. He had four blocks. I mean, he was phenomenal defensively, uh, especially in the second half. He had four blocks. So, yeah, he shot the ball poorly, but he still made an impact other ways. Hakeem Hart, only five points when we talked about how consistent he's been. He was two for 10 from the field. Jameer Young finished with 17 points, but he, he wasn't the greatest shooting night, especially from two. He was three for five from three-point range. Um, But let me do that math real quick. Three, three for three. eight from, from uh, two-point range. So, look, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a great shooting night from your star players. When your star players uh, don't perform as stars, it's going to be tough to win games.
1: 100% look you're not going to have many games this season I don't think at least where Hakeem Hart and Dante Scott combined to shoot five or 24 from the three uh, from the field excuse me that's just not going to happen you're not going to win games like that and I think Willard knows that I think the players know that I think the fans probably know that too like kind of listening to us rehash this game it, it makes sense why they lost they didn't shoot the ball at a high rate from two two of their three best offensive players didn't shoot the ball well at all. And you're not going to win many games like that, especially on the road in the big 10. So look, it's, this is going to end Sam as, as a quad one loss on the season. It is right now in Wisconsin. Are Wisconsin very gonna tournament team. They're going to be, they're going to be finished top six in the big 10. Like this is, it's look, year, and, and, in, year out. They're a perennial tournament team. The Cole centers is a tough place to win a game. And I get, they might not have the talent that they have when they've had their best teams in the past, but the scheme remains the same. Greg guards, one of the best coaches in the big 10 and the country. So look, like losses like this are going to happen, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and you talked about the defense in the beginning, how they did get off to a very poor start defensively. I thought Maryland they were getting back cut like no other. You know, they were giving up a ton of open threes. Um, they kind of just lost defensively, but they made a great adjustment kind of yeah. uh, as the game went on because they finished the game and really that second half and that late in that uh, first-half surge was sparked by the defense. I mean, they only gave up 64 points, again, to Wisconsin. You know, and th- that is a very tricky Wisconsin team because they back-cut you like no other. They'd they, 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 they love to set, set a ton of off-ball screens for layups, um, for for high-low three three balls. They play inside-out, out of the post. Um, they're, they're a really sound offensive team, and they held them to 64 points, which is very good. That's more than enough to win a basketball game, especially because Maryland was averaging or Maryland's lowest offensive output going to that game was 71 points. So if, if you told me before the game, yeah, Maryland's going to hold Wisconsin at 64 points, I would say, oh, they're 100% winning this game. Obviously, it was a very poor um, uh, shooting night from, from two, especially for Maryland, with and a bad offensive night all around. So they only had 59 points, so they couldn't get done. But defensively, the adjustments they made to, to Wisconsin's physicality and their screening and their bat and their constant movement and their cutting, I thought was very impressive.
1: Hundred um, percent. Look, Sam. This team went from nineteen in Ken to nineteen in Ken Uh So yeah. I don't I, like. It's, it's still a very good team. Tennessee and UCLA. You probably got to win one of those games. But
0: yeah, well, in, we Kempom- can talk, we can talk about the next um, couple games in a minute. But let me ask you a question. Um, does Don Carey and he did finish. Eight, with eight points, he fouled out in the game with five fouls um, against Wisconsin. He, he was two for five for three, which is, which is good for sure. Against Illinois, he was 0 for four for three, finished with five points. Um, that was against Illinois last Friday in the win. But the, the, is his performance worrying you a little bit? He's two for 24 shooting at from three at home. He's shooting much better on the road. Or neutral sites but even those two threes yesterday didn't feel like he was making um like they really made a difference and here's the thing about him he he is a very good shooter he has a great stroke so even when he's not shooting the ball consistently or well a defense needs to worry about him because if you leave him open he could get hot in any second and if he's hot he's going to be phenomenal so defense still needs to worry about him it's not like you can you can uh, lag off of him he still takes attention away from the defense which is a positive thing for him being out there but is his performance worried you a a little bit yeah
1: i think he's not making nearly as big of an offensive impact as we expected you know especially from three i get he was two for five from three one of those was a late three I think one, I, I mean, this kind of leads into the next point I was going to bring up before we got into the upcoming schedule. Why did Ian Martinez only play 12 minutes last night? It's a little befuddling. It was his lowest, he, you know, he was the least used player on the team out of the eight guys that played. Jahari Long played 19, Pat a million, played 14 minutes, and it was the least amount of minutes he played all year. I think kind of hand in hand with Don Carey's, you know, underachieving a little bit, not the performance we expected, is Ian Martinez should be playing more minutes. Like, His confidence, like we've said, is night and day from last year. Offensively, he's improved. You know, you saw him step into that three yesterday and hit that, driving to the hoop. Uh, He only took two shots yesterday, but he was two for two from the field. So I think we should see kind of, yes, Don Carey's performance is worrying me a little bit, and we've kind of seen he's a better shooter from away from home as he is at home. I think yesterday's first two misses kind of seemed like a bit of a confidence thing as well. I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure um there but i I think kind of hand in hand with don Carey, because i think ian martinez should be getting some of his minutes um i don't know why he only played 12 minutes last night i'm curious to hear your thoughts on that as well
0: yeah that that is interesting how low ian martinez minutes plays see i do think that don Carey still has value out there because he's a way better because like i said earlier you know he still is a threat so the defense still has to worry about him and account for him because if you leave him open for a second he may he's gonna he could get hot and just sometimes shooters just need one or two need to see one or two go in to get hot and he's a guy that he has a nice stroke once he's hot you never know what could happen from there so i do think that's part of it um you know he's a much better shooter than ian martinez so it's still he's a threat out there but i agree that we should see ian martinez a little more and kind of take into his minutes you know ian martinez has proven that he can play, he can play as a backup ball handler, which he has sometimes. Jahari Long does as well, but he can also play off the ball. Um, he, his three point stroke is way better this season than it was last season. He looks more confident in it. His shot selection, just his confidence overall, has been night and day from what it was last season. Uh, so I do think it was interesting. Maybe it was a matchup thing. Um, Maybe defensively he was a little lost. He wasn't. uh, He was watching the ball. I'm not saying this is what happened, but maybe he was watching the ball a little bit too much and he wasn't adjusting well uh, to their back cuts, which could have played into it. Um, We didn't ask coach about that, so I don't know exactly. But I do think it's interesting that that he uh, he only played 13 minutes, the lowest out of anyone that played um, yesterday. And and Don Carey played 27. So yeah, and he fouled out. So like, yeah, I do think that Martinez should see some of those. You know, I still think Don Carey is. the better player and the guy, should, the guy you should start and who should be playing more minutes, but I wouldn't mind seeing Martinez cut into those a little bit.
1: Yeah. I think yesterday with, with carriage just came back into my mind the frustration foul uh, yesterday when he missed a three late in the game and then fouled with two and a half minutes left. um thinking he yeah. had the foul. I think Willard we saw was really mad about that. I think uh, we weren't in person. So hard to exactly. Nah, it, it was pretty
0: clear. He, he was, yeah. he was getting in his face about that one. Yeah.
1: Um, but we'll see. I, I think, you got to expect Carrie to play better moving forward, um, just given that his, his shooting is not at the level we expect. And, you know, he hasn't had the the offensive impact that we've expected. But I think hand in hand with that, definitely a little confusing about about Ian Martinez, who we've seen become a much better player through nine games this season than he was last.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um yeah, so I mean, are there any other thoughts on Wisconsin? I think we both. Um...
1: I, I I think this it's, Wisconsin team is going to be a good team. Like I, uh, oh, they'll, they'll come, they'll come to the Xfinity Center January twenty fifth, um, which is I think the first game back for students after break, if I'm correct, and I'm, I'm sure that'll be a great crowd. And I think it's probably a rematch that this team will be looking forward to because yes, it was it was probably a winnable game considering those stats that we've mentioned, but you know it, it's not a bad loss to me whatsoever.
0: Yeah, not at all. And here's the thing. Um I I like I said earlier, Wisconsin nobody should panic for this loss. Literally nobody. But here's where the panic might come in. Uh, Maryland very well has a very good chance of going 0 2 in these next two games. Mm-hmm. And probably its the toughest two game stretch of the year. We'll see how Big Ten play shakes up. And that would that would be an 0 3 set stretch, move them to eight and three on the year after an eight no start. Um and then fans I think are going to get worried even though they're still playing two phenomenal opponents in these next two games. Does that worry you a little bit more? The fact that you know this was it was a tough game to win, but knowing the two game stretch you've coming up, where there's a good chance I'm not saying they will, um, but there's a good chance that they might go zero and two here.
1: I don't think it's worrying. I think just given the the brutal schedule that this team has had. I think this team, even though it's their first loss, given the the veteran experience and the schedule they've played, look, they've played St. Louis. They beat the crap out of them. They killed Miami. They played Louisville. Who's terrible on the road, but they killed them there. And then Illinois at home, they've played a, a, a bunch of tough games. And I think if anything, they're, they're ready for this turnaround, but yeah, look, it's it's really hard. It two top seven Ken Palm teams, Tennessee's number two, that'll be at the Barclays center Sunday. And then UCLA is number seven. Um, that'll be next Wednesday at the Xfinity center should be a great crowd. Like, I I don't think like, look, if if Maryland goes one and three in the stretch and they lose three in a row, I I really don't think it's time to necessarily panic. It's probably time to to come back to earth and take down the expectations of, of national championships. And you have to prove yourself again, once big Ten play comes back around in the new year. But I, I don't, I don't think that loss to Wisconsin adds any extra worry I think this team knew what was coming in this four game stretch and a couple of really big opportunities and and look they'll be uh, underdogs against Tennessee at the Barclays Center as they should be and they you know I'm expecting probably next Wednesday home against UCLA to be more of a pick em maybe uh, I think yeah Ken I think Palm they'll be, be slight pick. favorites Ken Palm is Maryland by one but those are two teams that are national title contenders right so you already beat one of them who I I think Illinois is a title contender. Um, and they proved it last night, beating Texas at the Garden. That was a hell of a game as well. And a little upset we missed the end of that for that uh for the Maryland game. But um look, two massive opportunities coming up. I don't think this team has any time to dwell on that. Tuesday loss at Wisconsin. So we will see what happens, Sam. I I think I think it's more exciting than anything. At the end of the day, it is December basketball. One, these losses won't hurt, and two, wins here can only help. So yeah, well, I, I yeah, think I think that's the way to look at it.
0: I mean, yeah, that's a that's a good point. That is the summer basketball. And you want to be playing your best basketball in February and March. Um, So, like, look, there's going to be kinks and things that they need to figure out as the year goes on. This wasn't going to be a perfect um, rosy ride. There was going to be ups and downs. And I think Willie expressed that before the season. I don't think he thought it would be as great of a start as they got. He said that but there's still there's still going to be ups and downs and, and there's been only ups on, until that Wisconsin game but now they they're going to they're going to they're gonna experience a, a little bit of a rough patch and and if they do go 0 and 3 I don't think that's reason to panic either I think you say that yeah that's a time where you may reset expectations um a little bit and they they it would mean that they have to prove themselves once again in Big 10 play especially it depends how they lose to those teams but those are national title contenders so I don't think a, an 0 and 3 stretch here would be a huge deal um, and we talked about this four-game stretch all season. It was circled on everyone's calendar. As, as they were even undefeated, it was this four-game stretch. They're two games in. They're one and one right now. If they can get out of this four-game stretch, two-and-two, two, that would be incredibly successful by them. That would, that would be phenomenal, honestly, if they can get out of the, a tough four-game stretch, two-and-two. Two, but we'll see. Let's talk a little bit about that Tennessee game, uh, which is um, this Sunday. We'll, we'll have a show before the, the UCLA game next Wednesday, so we're not going to talk about that too much, but that, that's a game, like you said, that Maryland will probably be slight favorite at home. I do think they have a much better chance of winning the UCLA game than the Tennessee game, just because they are in that home atmosphere, and UCLA is coming coming across the country, even though it's going to be an, an, an annual game those two teams play now, but it should be a great atmosphere at the Xfinity Center again, and I think Tennessee is much better than UCLA, but what are the chances you give uh, Maryland of beating this, this really good Tennessee team that only has one loss? It was a Upset loss to Colorado, the second game of the season. They've really been phenomenal since then.
1: Yeah, I mean they they, they beat USC and then they really just dominated the reigning national champion in Kansas. I think I'd probably put it at somewhere between like thirty and forty percent chance of winning this game. Maryland's probably going to be a five point underdog, but you know Maryland and New York always gets a big crowd of the alumni base. You know, will be in attendance there. Sam, excited for for that one to uh, cover that game in the Barclays Center. Quadruple header should be a, a really cool event. But yeah, this is going to be a really tough game. Like Tennessee is number two in Kempom for a reason. Like Tennessee has the best defense in the country, efficiency-wise, number one. No one no one else is, is up there with them. Um, and Tennessee is a really good offensive rebounding team as well, number six in offensive rebounding percentage in the country. So those are the two stats that probably pop out the most to me. And, and you know, you'll see it probably in, in our previews. And then as you get closer to the game as well, you got to keep... Tennessee in check in in those in that sense as well. Um, not a huge team, Tennessee. Um, Oliver, I, I'm gonna botch the pronunciation of his name, Oliver. And the big the big man, six nine. Um, Julian Reese is six nine as well, so they're not gonna overwhelm you with size necessarily. And they kind of bring back a lot of guys from last year who made an impact too. Josiah Jordan, James, Sakai Ziegler, the five nine point guard, now coming off the bench, making an impact, and Santiago Vescovi as well, who I think was once the youngest player in the division one. So this look, this is a really talented team, Um, not the deepest team in the world, like Maryland's not the deepest team in the world either and not the biggest team in the world either. So we will we'll see what happens. Um, Jonas Adu is is a 6'11 guys playing around like 15 to 20 minutes a game. So he could have an impact there. Um, But, you know, not he's playing 49 percent of the the minutes at center as well, but not the biggest team. Like I mentioned, we will see what happens in this game. Uh, But I think those are two things to look out for. Um, especially on the defensive end, because Rick Barnes has got that team playing defense at an amazing level. And you know Kevin Willard says, as long as my guys do what they do on defense, they can do whatever they want on offense. We'll see if that uh that mantra will be carried into this Tennessee game because they're they're relentless defensively.
0: Yeah, and when you do have that philosophy, and he said many times that's his philosophy, you, you, it's it worked through eight games. Then you kind of see the flip side of it when when they're they're really bad um offensively like they were last night against Wisconsin. Um Tennessee's a really good team. They like you said they play phenomenal defense. I do think Maryland matches up well against them, which is an advantage to Maryland. Um and and Julian Reese, like you said, I think he could have a good game, but um they play phenomenal defensively, so if if Maryland is going to Number one, Maryland's going to have to shoot really well, and they're going to have to do what they've done all year of getting penetrating that defense, which is a really hard defense, uh, to penetrate on the dribble drive, and then kick for open threes, but also they have to finish at a much higher rate than they did um, last night against Wisconsin. Like we've said the stat a billion times, but 35% from two is just not going to cut it, especially against a great defensive team in, in Tennessee that's physical. Um, I, I, do, I think it'll be a great test for Maryland. This is probably the best team they've played all season, and will be one of the best teams they play um, all year. This is a legitimate uh, national title contender. I think um, you know if Maryland can just compete in this game and then kind of the way they did against Wisconsin last night, where they they may go down early, they may be punched in the mouth, but if you can get up and punch back and kind of make it a close, competitive game. At a neutral site, which is a neutral site, but I do expect there to be way more Maryland fans because Maryland has a large contingent in New York. Um, so I think it's going to be the crowd's going to be pro Maryland as opposed as opposed to pro Tennessee. So I do think that that that'll favor Maryland a little bit. Um, but I don't expect Maryland to win this game. What, what does Ken Palm have the line?
1: Ken Palm's got Tennessee by five sixty eight sixty three.
0: Yeah, I, I could see it being around that, and then, you know if if Maryland can score in the seventies, I think they have a good chance of winning this game. But that's going to be really tough to do against a yeah. great defense. Um, if they if they they get really hot from three, maybe we'll, we'll see. But I do think Tennessee is going to win this game by four or five points. My prediction would be um seventy two to sixty eight. Tennessee wins.
1: Yeah, I got I got first. I got to walk back my take about the size a little bit. Uh, I uh, completely overlooked that they have a. Uh, Plovzic coming off the bench at 7-1. He plays a lot of minutes as well. So Tennessee size will be something that Maryland has to deal with. Yeah, Tennessee favored by five. I think it makes sense. I think it's going to be lower scoring than you predict, Sam. I think, look, when Tennessee killed Kansas, the reigning national champion, Kansas only scored 50 points, which is by far and away the lowest they've scored all year. I think the second lowest total they have was 69. That's a really good offensive team they shut down. So I'm expecting somewhere in the – Probably, I'm going to go 61 to 58 Tennessee. I think it's going to be a come down to the wire, a low scoring game. I think a, couple, a bunch of lead changes, but I think Tennessee is probably going to uh, take it in the end. But I, I do accept, expect kind of a home crowd there from Maryland, um, given the Barclays Center and, and you know how, how well Maryland fans have showed up in New York. Uh, I used to be that kid uh, going to Maryland games in New York every year. I know the crowds they have there and um, should be a, a really good environment for a, a really good game between two
0: top 13 teams right now. Yeah, I do think that I just have a little higher scoring just because I think Maryland does, they kind of need a, a great bounce back game offensively. Um, and I do think they will adjust some things. I, like It's really hard to shoot as bad as they did from two against Wisconsin. And, I, and you know, and... I, they shot well from three but I do think that they kind of have a bounce back game offensively and, and Tennessee can beat you in a lot of ways you know like you said what's Kansas scored 50 points the they can they can block in defensively but they, they can also score the ball uh when they need to um we did mention Julian Reese I will um should we talk about that a little bit just because Julian Reese back to back games um where he's in foul trouble he had he had a four against Illinois and followed that up against Wisconsin also had four was more of a threat um, on both sides uh, against Wisconsin than he was against Illinois. He was kind of non non-existent against Illinois. He finished with five points, seven boards, four fouls. Like I said, he had ten points and and six rebounds against Wisconsin, and he still played a ton of minutes. But there was a stretch there late in that in that second half, um, where where Julian Reese picked up his fourth foul. He's forced to go to the bench. Patrick Emelian. Uh, came in he played really well, but it kind of just changes how they do things when they don 't have a legitimate big uh, because Patrick Million is certainly not that, so it, it kind of just adjusts how- Mer- how Maryland has to play offensively and it and it, that was kind of when Wisconsin went on a little bit of a run there um and I kind of thought the game was over at that point, but is it were you just his foul trouble against some of this good physical Big Ten competition because it's just a more physical conference and you're going to get away with more from a physicality standpoint when you're playing in the Big Ten, especially um, when you're playing on the road because it's just a physical conference. So it does that worry a little bit? Because we saw him dominating uh, against some weaker opponents and we knew there'd be an adjustment as Big Ten play came around. But these are uh, this is a really physical style play and, and he cannot be in foul trouble every single game. Even if he's playing a ton of minutes, he, he can't be picking up uh, three or four fouls early on because that, that just adjusts how you play and you're not going to play as physical by nature if you have those fouls early on. Yeah,
1: I mean, we've been talking about this since he picked up two thousand in the first game against Niagara, right? Like, he needs to stay out of foul trouble and yes, he played 31 minutes last night which Willard kind of harped on when you asked him the, the question about Julian Reese's foul trouble. 10 and six, two assists, two blocks. Not, not a bad game for him by any means. But he, like... Look, anytime he's in foul trouble, it's going to bat some eyes, especially in in Big Ten play where the physicality is at another level. I think everyone probably needs to stay, take a, a bit of a step back just when when talking about Julian Reese and, and what he'll be able to do in, in Big Ten play, given that the fact you know Willard considers this his freshman year. Look, like it's definitely sophomore year, but um, I, I think physically and and maybe uh ment- mentally as well he's just not on the level as these other big 10 bigs yet i think it it very well could happen this season cleans up the fouls comes more of a, a steady force offensively but look he i don't think he necessarily played a bad game last night um i, I just think it's the foul trouble that's yeah more worrisome than anything and and Until that dissipates, it's going to cause a little bit of worry because, look, Julian Reese right now, physicality-wise is not at the level that we're going to see him two months from now, in my opinion.
0: And Because that was probably my biggest thing. I mean, you can talk about his physicality, you can talk about his offensive um, presence, but that was, for me, that was the biggest thing that I wanted to see from last season to this season was playing more discipline. Um, especially defensively, because last year he was getting in the foul trouble all the time in limited minutes, because remember, he was the backup center to Kudus Wahab, but he was getting in foul trouble all the time, just hacking guys, um, not doing a good job walling up, and in the beginning of this season, he was phenomenal at that. I mean, you could see the the level of Of play he was he was giving defensively while being while staying incredibly physical and going for those blocks but he was walling up making it really difficult for opposing big men and guards that were coming in the lane and i just i saw that jump almost immediately and i'm not saying that there's been a regression as much but you know he you can't you can't have back-to-back games or you can't continue to have foul trouble against against good opponents with with uh legitimate bigs i guess you know, I don't think that there's gonna there is a regression. I think we'll see him develop as the year goes on, especially as he becomes more and more familiar with Willard's offense on or, or Willard's philosophy and system on both sides of the floor. And he will develop. Like Willard considers it, considers it his freshman year, even though it's not, um, it's his sophomore year. But with that being said, he that does mean that there's a lot of room for growth, and a lot of room for de- development. And when you have a freshman like Willard considers him you're going to focus on him a lot and his development solely. And I think that's been a thing all year. I think we've seen him take that jump. And I think you're going to see even a bigger jump. But the foul trouble is a little, it's not too much of a concern to me, but it is a little bit of a concern just because of how good it had been earlier on in the season and how bad it was last year.
1: Yeah. And I, I think the thing with with Julian in this offense is like Dante Scott's playing the four and, and he's developed into a really good power forward. But I, I would argue he's probably like at the next level, he's not going to, Play four, like I, I think he doesn't really have a true big to to play alongside or kind of play with in, in practice. Like pat Emilia's a really good big man, but what is he six seven, six eight? Like I think that kind of changes some things as well, and and which is why I think we'll see him improve. And then if 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 he's back next year, even looking even more big picture, assuming Maryland has has a backup big or another big to play alongside, we could see a, a different version of Julian. Um,
0: yeah, it's also fun. interesting that he was shooting the ball. Like he had a nice stroke. Um, from outside last year, he was shooting the ball from three, and you kind of were impressed every time he shot the ball from three, even from the mid-range. He's done absolutely none of that this season. It's, it's kind of interesting. We've never really heard Willard talk about that, but it, does he like? I know Willard says everyone has the green light, but does he not have that green light from outside? Top you know, he, his shot. His shot also. We've seen him shoot a, like in in warmups and practice. His shot looks a little different last year. There's more of a hitch this season, especially, and you can see it on the free throws. But it's just. It's, and you know he was only two for four from the free throw line last night. He hasn't been phenomenal at the free throw line this year. But it, it's just interesting that he's not—he's not really a, a threat outside at all. He's a great passer, so we can still flash from the high post and, and play out there as, as a screener. But you're never going to see him screen, um, pick and pop. He'll always be flashing. He'll always be uh, rolling to the rim. It's just interesting that he just doesn't at all shoot out there. When it—I was kind of impressed last season of of his stroke.
1: Yeah, I mean we'll see. We we've seen him take threes in practice in the, the open portion that we've been able to see. He does have a, a decent stroke. Definitely looks a little bit different this year. I think at some point his game will extend out there. I, I, I don't think it'll be this season, though, given that what we've seen through nine games. But I think eventually we, we will see that.
0: Yeah. All right. I think we've touched everything. Uh those last two games, these upcoming games, everything on Maryland basketball. Anything else?
1: Uh no, I think I think we did a uh pretty nice run through through everything. It's, it's, I just want to finally say before we move on, it, it's an exciting time surrounding Maryland basketball when people are getting fired up over the first loss of the season and acting like the sky's falling and this team's back in, in national relevancy that I think that's, how do you know that uh Maryland basketball is, is back for now?
0: Sure it, it yeah, it sure is. And, and and that's that's what's so impressive about um Kevin Willard in his first year. You know, his job in year one had nothing to do, and really the first couple of years had nothing to do with wins or losses or championships, or championships or not championships. All it had to do with was reinvigorating a a fan base and, and a student body and just an entire program that was an absolute dumpster. I mean, no one believed. like Everyone was so down on Maryland basketball, locally and nationally. It felt like a broken program. And Willard wasn't some splashy hire. Yes, he had a good record, but he wasn't some splashy hire that his name alone would bring immediate enthusiasm around the program. But the only way to do that, we've talked about it with football, we talk about it with every sport and every team. The only way to do that is win. And that's all he's done. And he has his guys playing exciting basketball, really hard defensively, uh, high octane offense, playing with pace, pressing um, very different from his predecessor, predecessor, Mark Turgeon. And that's been the most impressive part because mission accomplished in year one, no matter what happens the rest of the way is he's brought excitement back to a program uh, that felt broken.
1: Without a doubt. um, And, and it, 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 I think the Maryland fans are pretty happy with, with the start and the ones who were a little bit delusional after last night's game will be able to put that in the rearview mirror with this uh, exciting stretch coming up and pretty much the whole season left to play. So it, it's it's a good time to be a Maryland fan, in my opinion, and, and Kevin Willard has done a, a great job thus far.
0: Yeah, so we went long on Maryland basketball. We're going to talk briefly, very briefly, about Maryland football because they do a bowl game coming up. It was announced uh, Maryland football will be playing in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl. I know it's a bowl. A lot of fans wanted it, that. Probably Maryland wanted as well. It's it's in Charlotte. It'll be December 30th at noon at Bank of America Stadium, which is um, the Carolina Panthers Stadium. So they're playing an the NFL stadium. Um, they're playing NC State. Like I said, Duke's Mayo Bowl, December 30th. There's been some notable transfer portal transfer portal departures and some guys who are foregoing. Um, this game to go to the draft. I'm going to forget some, but off the top of my head, Dante Dimas said he's not going to be playing. He's going to the draft. Uh, C.J. Dupree was a surprising transfer portal guy. Um, he was a tight end who had a breakout season. Uh, him along with Corey Deitches were really phenom- built a phenomenal tight end room um, in the absence of Chig Okonkwa that that left for the draft last year. But he said he's gone. Um, he's going to be in the tra- he's entering the transfer portal and moving on. Deontay Banks is going to the, am I right about that? He's going to the NFL draft. NFL draft. Um, who else am I forgetting?
1: Uh, who You got Demas Copeland, Dante. Uh, Copeland,
0: yeah, Copeland, yep. which was expected, of course. He's not going to be playing the bowl game. He's going to the draft. Anyone else? Um, I think that's it off the top of my head. And then
1: I think we both expect Rakim Jarrett to to join that list very soon.
0: Um, and then, and then maybe yeah we certainly expect for Kim Jarrett, too. He was a little injured at the end of the year so we don't know his status exactly. I'd be shocked if he plays in the bowl game though. He's talk he's been he's probably the mo- guy who's made it most clear all year. He's, he's out after this out year. Door. All he said all season anytime talking to him is yeah, I'm ready to go to the NFL draft. I'm I'm just trying to go to the NFL draft. I'm trying to make my name here and and, and go to the NFL draft. So I'm sure he will not be playing in this bowl game. Uh Corian Bennett hasn't made an announcement yet, but he's an he's potentially an NFL guy it'll be interesting to see if he um what he kind of grades in terms of NFL scouts guys but I expect him to leave I don't know if that necessarily means he won't play in the draft or uh, he won't play in the bowl game but we'll, we'll, we'll await an announcement from him was there, any, was there anything surprising from you other than CJ Dupree or was it kind of par for the course we certainly didn't think Dante Dimas would play after a disappointing yeah. season um that really lowered his draft stock quite a bit which is unfortunate um given given the injury that he had and if he'd left after the last year and didn't have that injury, he would probably have been a top three round guy.
1: Yeah, I think I think with Jacory and I think his eligibility may be done uh, after three years at Maryland. I don't know how it works with the JUCO transfer in the COVID year, but he's going to the Senior Bowl. He's he's going to be done after this year. Um, I think CJ Dupree definitely a little bit surprising, but he's he's getting a lot of love so far in the transfer portal. I think South Carolina is going after him hard. Got some other big time offers. I think Ole Miss, NC State um but yeah that, that was definitely surprising there i think we we haven't right, go ahead i was just gonna say i think with the opt-outs wasn't really surprised by any of them i think deontay banks put himself in position to get drafted potentially on on day two uh he came back absolutely i mean he was really good coming back from that shoulder injury last year i think he was maryland's highest rated corner on the year if i'm correct um so good for him, uh, along with Dante and Jacob Copeland. Wish them the best of luck.
0: Yeah, and then we uh, haven't forward. we haven't heard from um a couple offensive linemen, Spencer Anderson and Jalen Duncan. I don't know if that means they're going to play, but we expect those guys fully to be in the NFL draft. Um, so I don't I don't know if they're going to play in the bowl game. We'll we'll wait an announcement or not announcement from them, meaning they'll play. Um, you know, it's you know we've talked about this, but I don't see any any. Um, reason. If you are know for a fact you're going to the NFL draft, I see zero reason to play in a bowl game. Yes, it's the last game. You you have Maryland pride and, and you you kind of want to uh, end your college career at Maryland on a high note in a playoff atmosphere um, in, a, in, a, in a good bowl game in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl. But if you're really serious about going to the NFL, I don't see any reason to play in what really is, maybe not to the school and, and to you personally, but really is a meaningless bowl game.
1: Yeah, I think it's different for each guy. Um, I, I can't really argue with you there. I think you've seen guys get injured in, in bowl games. I think Jake Butts, the biggest guy that popped out to me when, when thinking about that from Michigan, did not out of the, the bowl, and I think he had tore his knee up and, and kind of sold his draft stock there. So, yeah, it is a really big risk playing in, in a bowl game, which I think is, is meaningless to a lot of people, but has some meaning to others. It's definitely subjective there. I think one more thing I wanted to say in relation to that is the fact that Talia Tagovailoa is playing the bowl game, was kind of dealing with this nagging knee injury all year. I think that's a pretty good sign he'll be back in a Maryland uniform next year. Um, yeah,
0: and I don't think there's any doubt about that because um, I, don't, I don't. he certainly can't go to the draft. He wouldn't get drafted, so that's not a possibility. I would be shocked if he transferred given his connection with Maryland and his relationship uh, with Mike Loxley. So, yeah, I think everyone expects that. There was one more departure we didn't talk about, which is Mike Miller. Um, the co-offensive coordinator oh, yeah. and the uh tight ends coach, who is incredibly well respected um in in Maryland circles, but also college football coaching circles around the country, and, and he's leaving for an uh, offensive coordinator position at Charlotte. And it's interesting because if one thing's clear from the fans, it is that everyone wants Dan Enos fired um from the fans' perspective. Nobody wants him. Uh, to stick around. Obviously, at this point, it seems like he certainly is sticking around, especially with Mike Miller gone. But, you know, if there's one sentiment you heard all season long and really going back to even two seasons ago, um, it's that nobody has any faith in Dan Enos and, and they want him gone. I'm not saying we've talked about this on the show before. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but that's the sentiment um, around Uh, termination and so it's interesting he's sticking around and now you have a guy who's very well respected in the coaching ranks who if Dan Enos was gone it would probably be Mike Miller's position but obviously he's not and so Mike Miller has to go somewhere else to or doesn't have to but he wants to to kind of to kind of build his career. And now he's moving on to Charlotte as the offensive coordinator. Um, of course, if Danny knows gets fired after deck season, Mike Miller would probably come back and rather have a job at a power five school, as opposed to Charlotte as the offensive coordinator. But, but it's just an interest, interesting dynamic there.
1: Yeah. I was just about to say, it kind of feels like a stepping stone for Mike Miller this year, where he'll be the offensive coordinator for Charlotte for one year. And assuming he does a sufficient job, he could either be back in Maryland or at a, a bigger school, as the sole offensive coordinator um, just because, you know, he's, he's so highly respected in this coaching world. And I think he's been honored with what the under 30 or under 35 coaching. Yep. And he comes like, from the
0: Sabin ranks. So.
1: Yeah. The, the deep Saban ranks, the, yeah. the, uh, the, the Loxley tree under Saban. But uh, I think he was, he was working under Loxley as, as a grad assistant. And it's really been a really quick rise for, uh, for Mike Miller there. So congrats to him getting that job. But I, I think, That'll just be a, a stepping stone move to either maybe Maryland in the future, but I I think it's it's kind of the necessary move that he had to make and, and no one can blame him if, if Dan Enos was gonna be sticking around uh next year.
0: Yeah. Um, so I mean we're gonna do more in depth a preview on NC State Maryland as uh, we know exactly who's playing as the bowl game gets closer in a couple weeks. It's, what, 23 days away at this point. So in the next couple of weeks, we'll do more in-depth preview when we know who's playing. But the thing about these bowl games is it's not the rosters that you have all season long. Like we said, a lot of these guys uh, forego the bowl for the draft. They'll they'll transfer. Obviously, transfer guys don't play. I mean, uh, I know NC State lost their offensive coordinator. So it's it remains in question who's going to call plays for them. They have a lot of guys entering the transfer portal as well. Um, so it's just not the rosters at all uh, that you see during the regular season. So it's kind of hard to like preview or, or evaluate this game, but it's a great bowl game. I mean, Duke's Mayo should be a fun bowl. Loxley said that if they win, he'll get the Mayo dumped on them, which part which, of the process, which would be fun, which would certainly be fun to see. Uh, we'll be in Charlotte. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's a cool, it's a cool bowl game. And I think that seven and five record representing the big 10. I, I think they deserve it too.
1: Absolutely. It should be really exciting, Excited to be there. I think, with Loxley always mentioning that the bowl games, the start of the 2023 season, kind of like last year, but like we saw Roman Hemby and Antoine Littleton emerge, is kind of now the one and two backs this year. I think we'll see a lot of that with the the wide receiver room this year, with, you know, Dante, Jacob, Copeland not playing, and then probably Kim Jarrett as well. Yeah. Could see. And we the, saw uh, that
0: kind of in the last game, too. Yeah. Um, Ty Felton had a huge game. Octavian Smith Jr. has been out there a lot. So I think those two guys are guys you look out for. Yep. Um yeah, I mean it just gives a lot of opportunity to to some younger guys and it should be fun.
1: Yeah, Shalik Knott's and Leon Houghton as well. I think we'll see the, those freshmen who didn't play as much this year kind of get some significant burn. But yeah, it should be it's an exciting game. Hopefully the Maryland fan base shows out given the proximity to Charlotte uh compared to Phoenix, Arizona, which would have been miserable to play in a baseball stadium with probably no one there, um Maryland wise. But yeah, it's it's an exciting game, close to New Year's. Uh, Bloxley might get the Mayo bath. So that there's, there's a lot to like about this matchup. Former ACC rivals as well at Maryland NC state. I think yeah, 33, sure, yeah. 33 all time.
0: Yeah. Yep. Four and four, four ties in there too. So it's, it's a deep, deep history and someone's got to go on top with that record. And so we'll find out on December 30th in Charlotte. Um, but that wraps up the show today. Uh, next week we'll be, Maryland's only going to have one game in Maryland basketball. We'll only have one game in between then. And so we'll talk about, we'll talk about that game against Tennessee and then, ucla will be playing be that night show. say that again it'll be a true pregame it, it show. sure will be because we'll go a full preview on ucla and kind of where maryland basketball stands at that point a week from today um so yeah so that's it i appreciate everyone listening and we'll talk to you next week